All right, does anyone need a Bible? And if you do, just raise your hand. And again, one of our interns will come out and they'll hand you a Bible. We like to do this for two reasons. One, it's just really good for you guys to get a Bible in your hand and to see that the words we're reading aren't just some words we made up or altered on the screen or something like that. It's really a true translation of the Bible. And then secondly, we like to, if you don't own a Bible, here's your Bible. You get to keep it. And so um, interns should be over there soon. All right, there you go. And so if you do own a Bible and we borrowed one, just put it on the side on your way out. So we have been in this book of Acts. And if, you don't, if you're newer to our church, we like to go through books of the Bible. And the reason we like to do this is because we feel like we can teach more of God's word and not just our own favorite topics. And so we've been in this book of Acts, and it's been fun. I think we get to see kind of the, the early church and the dy- dynamics, and, and we've described it as they were kind of in this honeymoon period where God was doing these crazy, amazing things, and they weren't facing a lot of problems But then the last few weeks, we've noticed that the church is starting to get into some conflicts. Stephen, for instance, he's out preaching to the religious people that we saw a couple weeks ago, and they just don't like what he's saying about Jesus, so they just pick up rocks and throw them at him till he dies. And so the church begins to feel its first loss. And Last week, we got to see how the church even reacts to this loss, and we see that they begin to scatter. They begin to scatter throughout the region. They don't just stay in Jerusalem anymore. They're going all over the place. And I said this earlier in the series, but I like Acts because I think sometimes Acts is a lot more relatable for me. And when I read this passage where it says that they scattered, that's relatable for me. Because sometimes I think we read the Bible and we go, man, you got to be a David and fight giants and you got to be a Daniel and not be afraid of lions. And I'd be like, I'm very afraid of lions. <laughs> like, and, and so then when I get to this and I see that the early church, they scattered, I know that I would be in the scatter crew. And here's why I know. is I watch scary movies, okay? And when I watch a scary movie, this is usually what happens, right? There's a family They drive up to a scary-looking house. They get inside the house. They set down their bags. They hear a creaking door, right? And then they always go, hello, right? Now, I just imagine every time I'm in that scenario, I'm watching that movie or whatever, I imagine my family. We go up. We set our bags down. We see the scary house. I'm already freaked out. We get inside. We hear a, and I'm like, we're out. Let's leave. (laughs) We're gone. We are scattering. And my family, but dad, this is our vacation. I don't care. We're gone. I don't know what that was. And but dad, you said ghosts and monsters aren't real. Well, we're running away from one right now. So like, <laughs> I, like I, I just I scare easy. Okay. And so I know I would be in this scatter crew that we saw last week, where they just scatter and they didn't deny their faith. They just said, "Hey, I'd like rocks to not be thrown at me." Right. And so they scatter. But in the midst of this. God actually does something incredible. He begins to spread the gospel throughout the world. We begin to see this thing to the ends of the earth. We begin to see the gospel even in the midst of this persecution and these bad things happening in the church. The gospel is going out and it's spreading. Okay, And today, we're actually going to see the story of this guy, Philip, bringing the gospel to someone that's traveling to what they consider at that time the ends of the earth. And it's, like I said earlier, this is just a fun story where we get to see this intimate picture of God working through Philip to evangelize to this man that we're going to see. 
And as I was studying this text this week, I, I felt like as I read it, there would be these portions where these questions would jump out at me. Just these questions, almost like the text was saying, what do you think about this? Do you think this way? And so today, we're going to go through the text, and we're going to pause at four spots, and we're going to see these four questions that I think the text asks us, and I think the way that we answer them shows how much we want to be like Christ or not. Am I hearing cheering? Was that? <laughs> Thanks, I guess. Uh, uh, and so let's get into it. We're in verse 26 of chapter 8 of Acts. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. All right, so we have Philip, who we saw last week was in just preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. He was doing these mighty works, even casting out demons, healing people, doing all kinds of stuff. So Philip is just chilling, and an angel pops up and just says, hey, go take this road down this way. So Philip is walking down this road, and he sees this guy from Ethiopia who's like a high court official who's in charge of, I think, all of Ethiopia's money and and the treasury there and all that, and he's a eunuch, and if you don't know what that is, you're going to have to ask your mom and dad. I won't even explain that. And so we have this eunuch here who was made a eunuch probably to serve his country with a one-track mind, and so we have this eunuch here, and the spirit says to Philip, go over and join this guy's chariot. And I think right away, this first question pops out at me. This first question that I think the text asks us, and and this is what it is, is do you listen for God's leading in your life? Do you listen for God to lead you in your life? Because Philip did. Philip really did, because Philip, he sees this angel and he goes, then he hears the spirit, and we're going to see he's going to join this chariot. And so I want to ask, do you listen for God's leading in your life? Because I think, unfortunately, in the church, we kind of have these two leanings when it comes to hearing from God and listening to God. And I think there's kind of this leaning over here where there's someone that might say, like, hey, uh, I can hear from God all the time. Like, he, sp- he uses my Cheerios, he breaks them into letters, they say all this stuff. Like, I hear from him every day, every, all the time, right? I ask him, and he's like, yes, or whatever. And then I think there's kind of this other leaning over here where someone's like, listen, you can't hear from God in your Cheerios, but you can only hear from God in the Bible. And that's the only way you can hear from God. And there's no other way. You have to open the Bible, ask a question, just open it up and see what happens, right? That's, that is kind of the two leanings of the church, and probably only a few of us are like all at one of the extremes. But I think this text clears up and gives us a balance to if we can hear from God's leading, if we can hear from God in this way that Philip did. And I think the answer is we can. We can hear from God the way that Philip he- hears from God. And here's why I think that, is because Philip was, was not an apostle. 
He was not, like, you could probably make the argument, like, well, the apostles did that, and they were kind of like super Christians, and they had all this stuff, and God was using them. But Philip was just this guy who was very close to God, had a very good relationship with God, because it describes him earlier as being full of the Spirit. But he was just a normal guy. And he could listen and hear from the Holy Spirit. And so I think that if we have trusted in Jesus, we can hear God's leading in our life. And I think too often we make it too weird. We make it way too weird. And I think, so my question is for you is, do you listen for God's leading in your life? And, and kind of follow up, do you even try to hear God's leading in your life? Do you take time to pray and sit before God and just talk to him and hear what he might say back to you? Because I think that the normal people of the early church did this. And so I think we can do this too. And what's tough about this is it's, it's hard to know if you're actually hearing from God or not. Right? And that's why, you know, I'm making fun of the Cheerios person over here because it's kind of like, no, that, your Cheerios, that's crazy that happened, but like, it's just your Cheerios, right? It's hard to know. And I think it is a good question to ask yourself when you think you're hearing from God. It's a good question to start off and go, is this me or is this God? I think that's good. I think that's really good. And so I want to give us some things that will help us to know if we're hearing from God and then just two, how we can hear from God. And the first thing is this, is the easiest, clearest way to hear from God, it is the Bible. That is the easiest, clearest way to hear from God. He says it is his, it is his word breathed out for our instruction. So if you're just waiting for God to speak you in this loud, audible voice, I, I don't know if it will happen, but you can for sure hear from God through the Bible. You can with 100% accuracy. Now, our interpretation messes that up sometimes, but the Bible is God's word for you and for me, okay? Now, when we get into the realm of hearing God outside of the Bible, you know, I think it happens all kinds of ways. Sometimes I pray and I'll ask God a question. I'll say, God, what should I do about this or that? I won't hear anything, but sometimes I'll just get this kind of random phrase or, or thought in my head about the answer to this question. Okay, some people they hear from God, they see, they literally they see a vision, they see something crazy, or they have a dream, or I've heard people hear from God in all kinds of ways. And so I want to give you guys some, some ways to see if, that, if you're really hearing from God. Because I hear that a lot as a pastor, like, how do I know it's, it's, it's God, or if it's me? And so I think the first time, when you feel like you're hearing God, and you're hearing his leading, I think the first thing you do is write it down. Write it down on a piece of paper exactly what you feel like in your prayer time or whatever it might be that God is speaking to you. Then, take that and compare it to everything in the Bible. Okay? Seriously, just take it, compare it to everything in the Bible, and say, if it contradicts something in the Bible, you're not hearing from God. Right? So, like, if you're like, man, God told me to chop down every McDonald's sign in town. Like, I would go, oh, well, uh, I'm not sure. There's no Bible verses that say don't do that. But there's a Bible verse that says love your neighbor as yourself. And I don't think that's very loving to Ronald. Right? And so, <laughs> and so take it, compare it to the Bible. All right? And if it contradicts the Bible, just throw it out. Now, if it doesn't contradict the Bible, you can't really be sure, maybe it's something more personal in your life, then I want you to take that, bring it to wise Christians around you. Bring it to wise Christians around you, not unwise ones, and you know who they are. 
bring it to wise ones and say, hey, I feel like God's telling me this. What do you think? Do you think this is God? Do you think this is me? And often those wise Christians will tell you the truth. They'll go, well, that, that's you, right? Or they'll say, you know what? Part of that is from God, and I think the last part is you. I think that's something you just really want. And the reason we have to do this is it says that, that our hearts are deceitful above all things. The Bible says that. So we take it to someone that's probably a little bit less biased and say, what do you think? This, is this from God? And then say you take it, and they're like, well, that part is. And so you're like, well, I, gotta, I have this part that I'm pretty sure is from God. At some point, you're just going to have to live it out and follow God's leading to where you think he's leading you and where you think you're hearing from him. And if God does stuff in the midst of it, you're probably hearing from God. And if he doesn't, I can't say 100% you're not hearing from God, but you might not be. So here's how it looks like for me. A few weeks ago, we were doing the All of Life interview with Thomas and Natasha, and they do their work with Camp Kesson. If you remember, they help kids go to camp whose parents um, are affected by cancer, right? And I, as I was interviewing them, I thought the Holy Spirit said to me, hey, Instead of praying for a vocation, like we usually will pray for anyone in a similar line of work, right? I, th I thought the Holy Spirit was saying, actually pray for anyone in the room that's affected by cancer. And I was like, that's a good idea, Holy Spirit. And so then I get to that point, and I said, okay, anyone in here affected by cancer, will you stand up? We'd love to pray for you. We stand up every month. It's not weird. No one stood up. So in that moment, I could go, okay, God, why did you make me do that? And I think that's a good question to ask. Or I could just go, you know what? That was maybe not God. That was just maybe me having a good idea. And I think that's how we have to discern this. That's not always the case. And maybe it was from God. Maybe people were blessed by that prayer, but they just wanted to sit. But that's, I think, kind of how it will look. And so, again, I ask, do you listen for God's leading in your life? Because it doesn't have to be weird. It really doesn't. We make it weird sometimes, but if we kind of add some wisdom to it, it wouldn't be as weird. And so that's the first thing that jumps out of the text for me, is that Philip was a man that listened to God's leading, and I want us to be a church that to, listens to God's leading as well. Let's go on in the text, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading. Okay, so the spirit says to Philip, go over to the chariot, and Philip is like on it, like runs to the chariot. Maybe it's because he's excited. I think it was because he's excited because then he just, he does some like bad evangelism, right? Like he just goes, hey, do you know what you're reading? Like, like it's not even, like it, there's no strategy here. He's just like, he told me to go. Do you know what you're reading? Like it was just so Awkward. I could just imagine him telling his small group later and his small group being like, dude, you got to build a relationship with that guy first, <laughs> right? That one should hit close to home. And so Philip is here. He's excited to evangelize. If you don't know what evangelism is, it's just proclaiming Jesus. It's proclaiming the good news, the gospel of Jesus to the world, to anyone. And so Philip is excited to evangelize. And before we go on in the story, I already feel like a question is jumping out at me. And the question is this, do you want to evangelize? Do you want to evangelize? Because Philip did, right? This guy is booking it to this chariot. He's not like, hey, I got to come up with a strategy here. He just awkwardly says something, 
And he's just, I want to evangelize. I want to share this good news of Jesus. And so again, I ask, do you want to evangelize? Because to be honest, as a pastor, I could take this text and I could go, hey, here's 10 different ways we should evangelize. And I think there's a time and a place for that. But as I was reading this, I just felt convicted myself of seeing how Philip ran. And I was like, do I even want to evangelize? Does my heart want to proclaim the goodness of Jesus in this world? Because I think if I don't want to, that's why I don't. You know, I could give you all these ways and I could try to convince you into evangelizing, but I don't think it will work. And so I was thinking about why don't we sometimes want to evangelize? Why don't we? And I came to this idea, I think it's because we don't see people the way that God sees people. Okay, we don't see people the way that God sees people because Jesus, when he came to earth, it says that there's this one account where he's in these great crowds and he's looking at the crowds and he's emotionally moved and it says that he saw the crowds like sheep without a shepherd and he's just kind of broken by that. Now, I don't know if I'm in the crowds and I just see people like sheep without a shepherd. And I've used this analogy before, and I think I, I want to update what I think Jesus would have said maybe like in America if he was seeing the crowds to make more sense for us. And it sounds funny at first, but I think it gives us a picture. I think that Jesus would see the crowds like little lost puppies. I really do. Like just a little puppy just in the gutter, just shivering, dirty, not knowing where to go. I think God sees us that way. And it's because God, I know it's kind of funny, but God sees us like sheep without a shepherd. And I don't think we see other humans that way. I, think, I just don't think we do. I don't think we see how God sees sin just being this disease and this pain and this rebellion that people live with and that it just hurts God. Right? And if we began to see people the way that Jesus saw people, we would not grow in our judgment of non-Christians. Our hearts would break in love for them. Yeah. Our hearts would break in love for them. And so, I, I, again, I, do, you, do you want to evangelize? Do you see people the way that God sees people? And I think sometimes we go, well, you know what? I know that God does the growth, right? We do the water, we plant the seeds, but God does the growth. So, you know, if I drop the ball, God's going to pick it up or someone else is going to pick it up. You know what? I think that's probably true. I don't think someone is getting to hell because you dropped the ball. I don't. God's going to save them. But I think that, again, forgets how God sees people. I think it forgets that there is a present reality to sin that is bad for people and that breaks God's heart. I, I kind of liken it to this. is if you've ever had a friend or a family member that has a really bad drug problem, that's addicted to drugs, just, it, just completely in control, or not in control, but the drugs are in control of their life, I think you would begin to understand God's heart for us. Because yes, I've had people in my life like that, and yes, there's a little bit of my heart that judges them. But more than that, at a certain point, my heart just goes, man, I'm broken for you. I just want you out of that mess. Because I think so often with drugs, it just denies our humanity. 
And, the, and this person often wants to turn away, but they can't. And so you as a family member and loved one, your heart just breaks and you just want to pull them out of that and you would do anything you could to get them out of that mess. And I think that's how God sees sin in our life. There's this mess in us that God wants to do anything to pull us out of, that he wants to do anything to pull us out of. And I just wonder if we view people like that. Not in a judgmental way, because I don't think uh, we as Christians are supposed to, like God judges, judge the world. But in a way that our hearts break. I think that if we began to ask God to give us these eyes and this heart to see people the way he sees people, we'd want to evangelize. We'd be running to the chariot, like Philip was running to this chariot. God is very serious about sin. And so if you're here and you're not Christian, I, I would say sorry, but I'm not because that's, that's, God is serious about it. Because he's created you for him. And you're the best, or he's the best thing in the world for you. And he just wants you back. And so do you guys want to evangelize? And if you don't, begin to bring, that, bring your heart to God in the midst of that. So let's get back into the story. So Philip just awkwardly ran up. Remember, do you know, do you understand what you're reading? In verse 31, it says this. This is the eunuch. And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? I can just imagine Philip right at that question. Oh, yeah, here we go. Right? Because so Philip, God just like softball throws one to Philip, right? Just like, this guy is, and they read the Bible out loud back then. So this guy is reading the Bible out loud. He uses an angel to tell Philip. Philip gets there, and then he's reading the Bible, which all the Bible points to Jesus. But let's be honest, some passages, it's just easier to see that. So this guy is reading one of the most Jesus-y passages ever, right? And he's like, I don't know what this means. Is this about the guy, or is it about somebody else? And Philip is just like, I'm glad you asked, brother. I'm glad you asked. And I just wonder myself, looking at the eunuch, I wonder if he knows that God is wooing him, that God is wooing him to himself right now. And if you don't know what wooing is, it's this idea of trying to gain someone's love or affection, right? When I was, you know, on the dating scene, I would invite girls on dates where we'd go ice blocking, right? And some of you might not know what that is. That's Phoenix's version of sledding, okay? And so you take a big block of ice that you could sit on, you get on a grassy hill, and you slide down, right? So I would use this method to woo girls. It didn't work, but <laughs> I used it. And so, but God, in, the, in not the same way, but God is wooing this eunuch. He's just set everything up for Philip to proclaim Jesus to this eunuch. And I just wonder, like, I mean, just think about, the timing of when Philip would have to be there, the passage that the eunuch is reading, 
just everything about the situation. God is wooing this eunuch. And I, that's my question. That's my third question for us. Do some of you know that God is wooing you right now? That the reason you're in this room is because God is wooing you. God has set things up in a particular way so that you would be in here and that you would hopefully meet Jesus. God is wooing you. I wonder if the eunuch knows that. I wonder if some of us in the room know that. We, begin, we continue to see more of the wooing. So he says, the eunuch says to Philip, about whom I ask you does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told them the, the good news about Jesus. So God continues to woo this eunuch who was somewhat some kind of a believer, right? Because he, he believed in the Old Testament, and often theologians refer to these guys as God-fearers. They feared the God of Israel. And so this guy is reading the Bible, and he goes, who is this about? And Philip goes, I'll tell you the good news. The good news is this is about Jesus. You might have heard about him a few months ago, where he was killed. And, and this is about Jesus because the, he was an innocent lamb. He actually never sinned. He never committed any wrong. And he was a lamb that was a better sacrifice than ever before. And he probably was like, this is why it's good news, man. You probably read Isaiah. You probably read these Old Testament books. And if you just read it at face value, it kind of sounds like do these things and then you, you're good. But that's not the message of this at all. The message of the Old Testament is actually a Messiah is coming who's going to be the better sacrifice for your sins. And this is Jesus. And they probably just related to the eunuch and said, did you hear about this guy? Yeah, I heard about him. Did you hear that he was doing all these great works? Yeah. Well, that, he was killed. He was killed for it in humiliation. And he was denied justice because he was killed for not justice for himself, but for justice to be uh, taken away from the world. So this is the good news. And again, I wonder, is, do some of you need to hear that message right now? Do you know that God is wooing you with the good news of the gospel? And here's why it's good news, is you can't save yourself. If we as sinners, like I described, are truly like that kind of drug addict scene, you can't save yourself. It's even worse than that, actually. Only Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can bring you out of that. And some of you have grown up in the church and you've heard the Bible a lot or you grew up just in this country and you hear the Bible a lot, but you've never heard what it really means. You think the Bible is just, hey, do all this stuff and this is the way we get to heaven. But the Bible is really this beautiful message of a king who comes to save all of us. And because he saves all of us and he loves us and he forgives us, then we do things. But not before. Our actions are not what save us. Only Jesus' actions are what save us. He is the only one that can pull us up out of the pit. That's why it's good news. And any of you that have been any part of any religion or any kind of thing, you know it can be so tiring sometimes, just the weight of guilt you feel and like you're never quite good enough and you don't measure up. So this is good news for you because Jesus says, yeah, you don't measure up, but I do. And so when Jesus died, he gave us his righteousness. He gave us his righteousness. 
so you do not have to strive to be saved anymore. And so I just wonder how many of us know that God is wooing you in here right now. So let's see how the story wraps up. And as they were going along the road, so this is right after Philip just shared the good news, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So, the eunuch hears the good news, and he has to respond. He says, let's get me baptized. He goes, because I, I don't know if Philip explained it to him, or I don't know if he knew, but he knew that when you get dunked in the water, right, that was like sharing in Christ's death, the death that Christ took for your sins. You get to share in that. That's what baptism represents. And then the good news is you raise up out of the water so you don't drown is one good news, but two, you share in the life with Christ, and that's when his righteousness is on you, not in that physical act of baptism, but that's what that represents. And so the eunuch goes, let's get baptized. And Philip said, yes, this is awesome. So they get out, and I, I, th- I imagine, I don't know how they did baptisms back then, but I think they just like grabbed each other and went, like, and they both go into water, which is awkward. And so they're down into water. They pop back up. Philip teleports. Straight up, God takes Philip and flies him away, all right? This is not like Philip was like, okay, now see you, right? Like, or he got out of the water and just took off. Like, like, it's like, that's pretty messed up, Philip. No, God teleports Philip away. And so my next question is, do you want to teleport? No, I'm I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, I I legitimately have prayed, God, teleport me. (laughs) Like, But anyway, so the eunuch pops up. Philip's gone. I don't know if you saw a little light. And he goes away rejoicing because he just knows this is a moment with God. And he probably is like, we're X-Men now or whatever he was saying. And he just goes away rejoicing because he sees God move. And I think we just see. And then Philip goes to this place and he's in Caesarea for 20 years just preaching the gospel we find out later in Acts. And so I think that this last part of the text, the real question it asks us is, are you going to respond to Jesus? Are you going to respond to the gospel? Are you going to respond to this good news of Jesus saving you? And this is for everybody in the room, Christian or not. Because Christians, evangelism is responding to Jesus. It is knowing how much we've been loved, cared for, and saved, and letting that flow out of our mouth. And I think, too, like if we understood that fully and well, we'd want to evangelize. And so my question again, Christians, do you want to evangelize? Are you going to respond to what Jesus has done in your life? We share what we love. That's why if you've ever sat with me more than 30 minutes, I probably mentioned the sons. But, there we go, Antoinette. Um, finally got a Suns fan in this church. Um, and then, sorry. And then, but I wish that more often than not, people are like, man, but you, we, all, we also talk about Jesus. And you talk about Jesus more. 
And guys, you have an easy opportunity next week. God is slow pitching you an evangelism opportunity because something happens on Easter where anyone, non-Christian or not, nominal Christian, whatever you want to call it, they will be like, yeah, I'll go to church with you. And so you, as Christians in the room, you can respond. You could go to your neighbor, your coworker, or your friend and say, hey, will you go to church with me? And then don't just leave it at that. Say, and then after church, can we have lunch? And then you have a plan, and your plan is just to go, tell me what you think about Jesus. And just hear them. And for some people, it's going to be really hard. Like, when I evangelize, I'll be like, tell me what you think about Jesus. They're like, I hate him. Okay. Uh, like, and it's like a tough combo after that, right? But for some of you, though, it's, it will go better. And so plan on it. Think of someone right now, a coworker, a friend, or a neighbor, or a classmate that you want to invite to the Easter service, not just because Anthony's like, hey, do this, do this, this is a Christian thing to do. Do it out of a response to what Jesus has done in your life. Do it out of a response to the goodness that has been done to you. I don't want to talk to other people in the room, anyone that's not a Christian. And I want to ask you, are you going to respond to Jesus? Because you have to ask yourself, is this stuff true? And if you look at it historically, it holds up. It's like most, even people that don't really believe that Jesus was God, they'll say, well, at least what he taught in the Gospels, that's true. And then you can historically look at historians like Josephus, who says like, this guy Jesus is doing this crazy magic stuff all the time. Like he says something like that. And so you can historically look at the Gospel accounts and go, this is a true representation of who Jesus is. And you have to ask yourself, are you going to respond? And guess what? Next week, you can respond to. If right now, in this moment, you're like, I do want to follow Jesus. I do want to love Jesus. Next week, you can get baptized. You can get baptized, and we can celebrate with you, and you can proclaim to the body of believers, yes, I believe in Jesus. You can respond to. And so I think we have every reason to respond. God has made it possible for us to be led by the Spirit. Jesus was the ultimate evangelist in that he came to the world proclaiming the good news and being the good news and saving us. And he used his very life to show you how much he loves you and how he's wooing you back to him. So are you going to respond? Christians, are you going to respond to this God that loves you? Non-Christians, are you going to respond to this God that loves you? Let's pray. God, I... I love you. I thank you for this word. I thank you for what you are teaching us through it. God, at the end of the day, we just want to be more like you. And so, God, I ask for those of us in here that are believers that we would respond in love, that we would remember the ways that you wooed us, and I think you even continue to woo us, and cause our hearts to want to evangelize. Cause our eyes to see people the way that you see people. And then, God, too, I want to pray for those in here that would say, hey, I'm not a Christian. God, make their hearts good soil for the gospel. God, reveal yourself to them more and more during this service to where they can't help but respond like the eunuch did and said, let's get baptized. 
So God, let us be a people that see what you've done and respond to it. Let's be a people that realize how broken we are and how much we need you and respond to you and say, God, save me from my sins. God, I believe that you were who you said you were. God, I need you. God, forgive me of my sins. So God, help us to be a people that deeply love you. Amen.